0: 333-1933 online at mypremiereortho.com
1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about plans being made by the U.S. Postal Service to consolidate some of its mail processing facilities, as well as change its current overnight first-class delivery uh, to a two- to three-day service and any other issues uh, facing the Postal Service uh, in 2011. We have three guests with us in the studio. Victor Dubina is here. He is the Great Lakes Area Communications Manager for the U.S. Postal Service. Tim Fuller is with us. He's the American Postal Service. Postal Workers Union president in Bloomington, and also with us is Lisa Bingham, a professor at the Indiana University School of Public and Environmental Affairs, and she's done extensive research on conflict resolution in the Postal Service. If you want to join us on the program, please phone 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 outside of the local area. You can also join us on a live chat. We have a cover live chat going on. Mm-hmm. Go to WFIU.org slash Noon Edition to uh, join that conversation. Well, thank you all for being here today. Hi, Bob. Thank you. It's a, thank it, you. Sure. It's a, it's a big issue. I know uh, uh, the Postal Service uh, mail delivery is something that everybody has sort of, sort of taken for granted for the last couple of centuries, I guess. I don't know my history of the Postal Service that well, but for as long as uh, certainly I can remember and, and a lot of people can remember Just expect to get that mail every day. And now there's a lot of discussion about uh, things changing. Uh, Victor, could you sort of uh, frame the conversation for us? What are the business issues that are driving a lot of these discussions?
2: Well, let me begin with saying first, you know, when you have Ben Franklin as one of your (laughs) founding fathers, you know, this organization has been around for so long. uh, Essentially, we're being taken for granted. Uh, But really to frame uh, the situation we're dealing with goes back to the creation of the Postal Service in 1970 out of the old Post Office Department. Uh, The law at that point in time said we want the Postal Service to operate not using taxpayer dollars, and we've been able to do that since 1982. But the business model that was framed there was a growth in first-class mail from 3 to 5% per year. Now, fast forward uh, to 2002 when we created our um, first transformation plan. In 1970, about 14% of our mail volume was personal correspondence. By 2002, it was about 4% personal -hmm. correspondence. Fast forward that to today, and it's probably around 2% uh, uh, personal correspondence. First-class mail has been going down as a category about 7% a year uh, in the last decade. This past year, what we've seen is single-piece first-class mail. That's the mail, you buy a stamp, put it in the upper right-hand corner, just like my grandmother used to do, and you mail it. That went down 10%. We're now handling that particular volume nationally at levels we haven't seen since the early 1960s. When the whole business model is built on a three to five percent growth, and you're watching a seven percent decline, you know there are financial challenges with that. You know how do you uh, fulfill what Congress has told us to do—operate as a business without util- utilizing taxpayer dollars? You know the tough decisions then are left to the Postal Service uh, to make that work, and that's what we're doing right now. We're looking at every aspect of our operation possible. You know, mail volumes peaked in 2006 at 213 billion pieces. This past year, uh, 2011, 168 billion pieces. We're projecting uh, about 150 billion by 2020. So the marketplace has changed. Uh, The volumes that we see have changed. The, The premier product that's carried the organization is declining, so we're going through Various aspects, looking at do we need to have more post offices than uh, Walmart, uh, Starbucks, and McDonald's have retail outlets in the country? Uh, How do we adapt to it? Do we reach out? uh, It's almost like uh, back to the future, having village post offices take up uh, part of that. Do we need an infrastructure for mail processing that was built to support first-class mail that's just not there Uh, Anymore, Mm -hmm. and and that that, puts—that's essentially the situation we're in. Uh, The business problems, the challenges are there. Uh, What really um, uh, made the challenge much harder for us to deal with was a 2006 law uh, that Congress passed as an effort to uh, uh, give us a little flexibility, reform the organization, but they forced us to prepay. Uh, future retiree health benefits. Now that's a two and a five and a half billion dollars a year, on top of about two billion dollars a year we pay for current uh, retiree health benefits. So well over ten percent of the organization's revenue is going to uh, health benefits. But this future retiree health payment. Congress looked out at a 75, 75year uh, 75 window, brought it down to say you've got 10 years to prepay, uh, to prepay that. we 're essentially paying uh, for retiree health benefits for people who haven 't joined the postal service. In a nutshell, that 's the situation we 're dealing with.: Okay,
1: So yeah, that's, th- there are a lot of things there. Um, one, I, mean, I, I 'm sure that people do understand this, but the change in technology has been, I assume, what 's driving down your first class mail. People can email a
2: letter or email a note. Exactly. Uh, about 10 years ago, uh, perhaps 5% of Americans uh, paid all or some of their bills online. Uh, today, uh, probably 60% of Americans pay all of their bills uh, online. And I use myself as an example. My youngest daughter, I should not tell you her age, but it's in the early 30s, uh, she called me one day to ask me what the price of a first-class stamp was. She needed to mail something. Um, the iPhone, all the smartphones—that's become uh, what people are relying on. When the economy went bad, uh, we were trying to manage the the down. Uh, we saw the downslide for several years. We were trying to manage it, but when the economy went bad, many of the businesses that had been using the postal service started to turn around to their customers and said, "Wait a minute, transaction costs via the mail are higher than they are if we can get bills." Uh, And other things done online so they began to push their customers uh, online you had cable companies saying if you wanted a printed bill you're gonna have to pay for it Uh, my credit union said if you wanted to uh, have a printed bill mailed to you you have to uh, pay for it Uh, my bank says you know what Uh, if you want this loan uh, from us uh, you're gonna have to get all your documents online that was an awful lot of business uh, that moved away from us, but what it did to us was accelerate the situation we were in. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. I want to turn to, to Tim Fuller now. Tim is the American Postal Workers Union president in Bloomington. What uh, You've heard what Victor said about the business uh, challenges that the Postal Service has from the your perspective, from the union perspective, I mean, what what can be done, what should be done? And what are they doing now, perhaps, uh, in their solutions that you've, I'm sure you've seen some of the solutions that are being
3: suggested, you know, which ones are on track and which ones maybe? The best one on you? track right now would be uh, Representative Lynch, mm-hmm. who has H.R. 1351 being held up in the uh, house mm-hmm. by Daryl Issa. Daryl Issa has got a front of pushing his Destroy the Postal Service H.R. 2309, which is co-sponsored by his pal, Dennis Ross, out of Florida, and forced it to come up to a vote at some point in the near future on the House floor, Mm -hmm. while this one man controls not bringing forth a bill that pretty much alleviates that 2006 problem that Victor's... Talked about mm-hmm. is that the
1: U.S. the uh, Postal Service
3: Protection Act? Is that uh, the that is uh, that's the Postal Service uh, Accountability and Enhancement Act of okay. two thousand six? Okay. That was passed on a lame duck Congress. Mm-hmm. It was put to the gavel by a, a yes vote, and they knew there was opposition, and they passed it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if we did not have that, we wouldn't be in the debt crisis that we are now. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: let me ask ask you. uh, So 1351, I I pulled one bill up. It says uh, it would fix the Postal Service's immediate financial crisis by allowing the U.S. Postal Service to recover the overpayments it made to its retiree pension funds. That's
3: that 75-year deal that Victor's talked about that we're required to pay in 10 years. And, you know, the gloom and doom of the Postal Service and Congress, if we're making these payments, obviously we're not in business 75 years from now right mm-hmm. so why are we making them mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, so this bill 1351 is being held up in the house right now yeah by mr issa he mm-hmm. won't allow it to come to the floor
0: mm-hmm. tim when you walked in your your face was familiar to me as i'm sure it is a lot of people here in bloomington anybody who's frequented the the post office for many years as, as you know most of us have so i want to know what impact this is having on you and your co-workers
3: well i mean you know they're all up in arms like i'm working in Bloomington today. Will I be sent to Indianapolis tomorrow? You know, will I be sent to Evansville? I mean, if they go through with the plan they have now, instead of all the plants we have in Indiana now, we'll be down to, we'll have one in Evansville, we'll have one in Indianapolis, and we'll have one in South Bend. And with our contracts as negotiated, you can't send us more than 50 miles. So, in essence, you've got places like in Chicago and Miami where they might access people, and they have access people, But it's all on paper. Those people are sitting in a room still getting paid because of contractual limitations on how far they can send people. So there's not any real savings happening. You're taking $20 out of your left pocket, putting it in your right, saying you're saving money on labor in Indiana, but it's actually still there, even though you say you sent it to Illinois. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about the consolidations
1: that could close down the processing centers in Bloomington, Mm -hmm. Columbus, Kokomo,
3: Terre Haute among others. Yes. Right? And, and and with those contracts, we have, you know, obviously, they have too many people in Indianapolis, per se. Mm-hmm. They access people out of those cities. If you're sending people out of that plant, you can't be bringing people from other plants into there. So if we're within 50 miles, and they send 30 people out of Indianapolis, and they want to import 20 from Bloomington, contractually, they can't do it. Mm-hmm. Those other people have to be allowed to come back before I could be allowed to come in. So... I would say that was probably why the Postmaster General is big on getting rid of the contract that he negotiated in May and agreed to. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: What about eliminations? Are any folks going to lose their jobs in the near future because we of We have a
3: no layoff clause in our contract. Now, the other three unions that are up for negotiations, it's in their contract right now. And what are those unions? That would be the uh, National, uh, uh, National Association of Letter Carriers. That would be the uh, Mail Handlers Union. That would be the real carriers' unions. There's four unions that work within the Postal Service.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Okay.
1: Yeah. All right. Let me remind our listeners that uh, you can call us and join this conversation about what's going to happen with mail service by calling eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington or toll-free 877-285-9348. And WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is the web address if you want to join a live chat. Uh, Lisa Bingham is here. So, Lisa, you've sort of heard – You've heard what uh, what Tim had to say. Uh, obviously, the uh, the union has got some issues that they're very concerned about. Um, in your history, you know, is this a a more uh, trying time perhaps for the Postal Service than other issues you've seen in the past?
4: Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, the 2006 legislation uh, through the Postal Service from a position financially where they were operating in the black into an immediate deficit and a severe deficit situation. Um, And this is an existential threat. I mean, the Postal Service has kept up uh, with changes through uh, technology with the growth in the um, load of the mail. And now technology is coming back to, uh, to hurt it. Um, the interesting thing about the postal service is it, it's really an amazing example of um, some great things about America. It is the most diverse employer in the United States. Uh, it it, it uh, was when I started working with them. I I have been. I did a research project from 1994 to 2006 on the Postal Service's use of a very innovative process for resolving workplace conflict, mediation. Um, the, when I first became involved, they, had, they were the number one civilian employer in the world, the largest civilian employer in the world. Um, and they have shrunk to way below that. But because of their size and because... Uh, of the diversity of the workforce, There's a lot of, there was a lot of workplace conflict. And they brought this very innovative mediation process um, into every zip code in the country over the period of 18 months, and it did some great things. I mean, we went from having 28,000 EEO complaints a year filed against the Postal Service to get, getting that cut in uh, by about 30 percent, and the formal complaints went down, from about 14,000 a year to about 8,000 a year. And the base workforce that these numbers um, were from was about 900,000 employees. Mm-hmm. The, uh, I think the Postal Service gets a, an unjustified bad uh, rap, or at least it did about a decade ago with this phrase um, that grew out of a, a couple of shootings uh, at a couple of post offices. But there was a study done at Columbia, the Califano Report, Columbia University, that established that you're no more likely to be uh, – in fact, it's one of the safest places to work. You're, you're no more likely to get uh, assaulted by a coworker at the Postal Service than anywhere else that you work. Um, and, and to the contrary, because they're so uh, aware coming out of the, those experiences, there, there's been a lot of innovative uh, human resource management.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, to summarize, I mean, you're, you're saying this is a sort of a uniquely American kind of workforce and it's, uh, you know, it's threatened right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. OK. We have a phone call. Let's go to uh, the phones. John is on the phone. John.
5: Hey, yeah, this is a question about the great disappearing mailbox scene um, since the main post office moved from downtown. To my knowledge, there is no postal drop anywhere within downtown. Certainly nothing around Courthouse Square. Uh, There used to be one, of course, at the old post office, which was convenient for drive-up. And there used to be one box, I recall, over close to IU. Um,
0: We have um, good news for you, John. Hello. We have good news for you. Okay, I'll hang up. Okay. Do <laughs> you want to handle this?
3: <laughs> well, I want to handle it? Yeah. Uh, I would suggest John talk to the postmaster of Bloomington, Indiana, because I, if I'm aware of it, my brothers in the NALC mm-hmm. had requested that they leave a drop box at the old site when mm-hmm. they moved, mm-hmm. and he wasn't going to let that happen. <laughs>
0: well, there is a site, though. It, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, you can drop off your letters uh, on on Walnut Street, right? That's the old post- Ponderosa building, and, right. and
3: yeah, the new the new post office,
1: right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So it, ha- it it really sort of depends on how you define downtown.
0: Yeah, I guess I would. Yeah, post- I would consider that downtown. <laughs> right. It's, um, that's affectionately was, known as the Ponderosa now.
1: The Ponderosa, but,
3: yeah. but but, but I like, guess people were concerned and they wanted a drop box still to be there that they could drive up to because mm-hmm. uh, they can access it from both sides of the street. And uh, from the information I received, you know, and that's why I say contact the postmaster here in Bloomington and ask him yourself, uh, but that they weren't going to put one or leave one on that spot. Hmm. Yeah, I drove by there this
1: morning uh, specifically to drop a letter off and there's nothing there. Or
0: maybe that is or isn't good news for John. I, I would no, consider I the Walnut Street one downtown, but it, I but it, you make a good point. Maybe other people wouldn't consider that.
1: Well, it's,
2: it's uh, a little south of downtown. Yeah. Let me uh, second what Tim said. You know, talk to the postmaster mm-hmm. uh, on it. But um, those blue collection boxes, um, boy, they were everywhere across the country. But it, it, our removing them is when we went to tap, many of them had uh, less than 20 pieces of mail mm-hmm. in them. Uh, on many occasions, there was no mail in them at all, and it 's reflective of what 's happening with that what I call the single piece first class mail when that volume goes down there 's still a cost associated with going to a box, be it full or be it empty, but when you see less and less in there, and we go through a process of um, a dense, we call it a density study to see if the volume is there uh, to pick it up. Uh, you can go online and see uh, it, where the nearest collection boxes mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but definitely, from, uh, from Tim's uh, suggestion, uh, if you feel you, uh, there's a, uh, you need a collection box, talk to the postmaster. There may be another one nearby that uh, you just may not be aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: uh, I wanted to follow up uh, before I go to the phone call. Um, how much has the uh, increase in gasoline prices affected the, the Postal Service and, and caused some of these problems?
2: It's something that we are adjusting to. Um, a few years ago, uh, a penny change uh, of gas uh, cost the organization roughly $8 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because we've, re, uh, we've changed a lot of our routes, we've changed an awful lot of behind-the-scenes, the mail processing, it's probably down to about $6 million right now. Yes, ga- uh, gas is associated with it. And again, this is part of the pressures we face. We eat the cost of that. Our competitors will throw on a surcharge, a fuel, a fuel surcharge, a, a delivery surcharge if it takes them further to go out. We we can't do that. We have to eat the cost of it. So we have to figure out how to keep how to do what we have to do with the revenue we're getting. Okay, we have another phone call. It's Roger. Roger?
5: Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I have several questions. You know, little complaint regarding the uh, five o'clock uh, deadline on getting mail to delivered to anybody and in Bloomington because processing we're told is done in Indianapolis and that raises the question, is there still processing in Bloomington? It sounds as though there might be, but here here are the concerns and perhaps you can answer regarding the proposed two to three day service. Um, At this time there are churches and nonprofits that use the postal service and have their mail treated almost as first class so that if you have something happening on Sunday people can hear about it generally Within the same week, sometimes it gets delivered on Monday about what happens on Sunday. But the other one is bill paying. A few of us who still pay bills by mail uh, pay, for instance, AT&T, an $80 landline bill. But uh, it takes they give you two weeks to pay, and uh, if you don't pay within two weeks, it costs you an extra $5 or so. Um, it looks as though if you have a two- to three-day service, um, it's just going to uh, undercut, and there will be no more church and nonprofit newsletters. There'll be no more um, bill-paying by mail. And all you'll have left is delivery of magazines, which really ought to be subsidized, and business advertising, which uh, is not an aggra- aggravation, not worth subsidizing.
1: All right. A couple questions there. What about
3: processing in Bloomington? Is it still going on here? Yes. Uh, what happens is your collection of mail is brought in for your carriers? through dropping it in the box, dropping it at the post office. And that used to be processed here. Back in 2008, they decided they wanted to drag that to Indianapolis, which they did. So your mail's collected up every day in the 474 area, brought to Bloomington. It's put into another truck, and it's sent to Indianapolis. It's processed, and the theory is it will all be returned that night for us to process all cities in the 474 area in Bloomington so that they have their mail in the morning for outgoing distribution to the customer. So that still goes on here now. With the proposal to close that facility, it will all be drugged to Indianapolis.
1: Okay. Now, let me see if I understand this because it sounds like you're getting all the 474 mail. It's going to a processing center, and then it's being bundled up, shipped to Indianapolis, processed again,
3: sent back it doesn't get processed all it okay. gets it gets transferred to another truck it can, you know all your trucks come see. into the docks at Bloomington mm-hmm. they pick up your mail and it's put on a truck and it's shipped to Indianapolis Indianapolis processes that mail they keep everything that I isn't see. in the 474 area okay. and everything else is shipped back to us I see. to where we downsort it to Bloomington zip codes and all the other 474 area mail and then it's transported out on trucks to those individual cities and those carriers have that mail for the morning okay was there some logic to that that i'm missing yeah Um, That was in their fuel, fuel cost Mm -hmm. and manpower cost to drag those jobs out of Bloomington, take that money, uh, take that mail to their their deal was. Our argument was at the time in two thousand eight was half the mail already stays here, so why put it on a truck and send it on a round trip back to Bloomington? Mm -hmm. The post office apparently felt they were saving money. Mm -hmm.
2: And here is the issue we're dealing with, and. um, and being in the newspaper business, mm-hmm. uh, let me use an analogy. If, if you have a printing press that you want to print a uh, newspaper on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how many hours does it take to print that edition? Three, four hours, and then the machine, then the press sits right. uh, idle for the rest of the time. And that's essentially what we're, what we're dealing with. We've got uh, pieces of machinery in all of these facilities uh, doing the same thing for a limited amount of hours. And what we're proposing is let's look at our entire uh, processing infrastructure and instead of maybe running the machinery overnight, uh, and because the first class volume is down so much, uh, let's start centralizing that a little bit more but open up the processing window where instead of maybe a six or eight hour overnight, suddenly we're pushing the machines to 20 hours a day, maximizing it. What's going to happen is then that machi- uh, th- those pieces of machinery become much more efficient. We can run things through uh, on a better scale on it and not have uh, pieces of machinery sitting there uh, doing nothing. You know, a printing press, mm-hmm. not printing. That's why pr- uh, a lot of printers, newspapers, survive by uh, bringing in other papers uh, to print it. Right. That's essentially the, the same model of what we're dealing with. Uh, if we can proceed and, and, and make progress on that, uh, our, number one, obviously we're going to gain efficiencies, but number two, uh, for a lot of the affected employees, there'll be positions that'll open up uh, because we're not running just overnight. We're, we're, we need a, a fuller crew. Uh, and... You know, we still have a ways to work our, uh, through that, especially with the with the national unions on how we're going to uh, be able to achieve that. But you know, that's the direction we're we're headed in. Okay,
1: uh, Roger, you're the second half of your question, really quickly, and then we're going to go to a break before we get yeah, the, the, the answer. Yeah, um, the other
5: part was uh, proposed two to three day delivery okay. means that uh, we're we're going to have to um, we're going to have all sorts of penalties, like five dollars on every bill that's okay. late and uh, that uh, church and nonprofit stuff is not going to get delivered in time, and it'll just mean that it'll be a vanishing service. Why not expand into phone and Internet system uh, administered by the post office instead of just saying, well, we're going to shrink to nothing?
1: Okay, we're going to answer that question after we take a break, but we've gone a couple minutes past break time. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
6: This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, information at smithville.net, and from Premier Ortho, online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews
1: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from The Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. We have three guests today talking about uh, what's happening with the Postal Service. Victor Dubina is here. He's the Great Lakes Area Communications Manager for the U.S. Postal Service. Tim Fuller, the American Postal Workers Union President in Bloomington. And Lisa Bingham, professor at Indiana University in the School of Public and Environmental Affairs. She's done extensive research on conflict resolution In the Postal Service. Um, So let's uh, address the second half of the question. It's two- to three-day delivery and how that could really be uh, sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy for pushing the Postal Service down even further. Yeah, because it
2: seems
0: counterintuitive that if you're struggling, that then you make your service less attractive.
2: It's a very, very, very hard decision. Uh, We know people still rely on the Postal Service, especially as this gentleman was talking about mailing a bill. Um, And we've been uh, working with an awful lot of the mailers of what what the impact would be, and even as we hold public meetings, uh, you know, we're trying to see what kind of an effect so we can hear for the small organizations that use the mail. You know, the balancing choice we've got is, again, when you see this, one line that keeps going down uh, in the cost of supporting the network. You know, all the, the position we're in right now and the hard reality we're faced with, if nothing is done, and, and you can read into that, if Congress takes no action uh, to change our business model, it's very conceivable we will run out of cash sometime this fiscal year. And what that means is we no longer have money to pay our suppliers we no longer have money to pay our employees. The system stops. Then everyone is hurt, and we don't want to get it to that point. Uh, you know that's why we've gone to Congress asking for relief in, in several different areas. Uh, but the the hard um, the hard reality is, uh, if we have to go to that and, and make that those changes. Um, people need to understand that overnight in the Bloomington area will disappear, and you've got to plan in advance uh, if you have a bill that has to be paid uh, uh, locally overnight. Uh, as the gentleman said, you know, you're given 20 days. Uh, those 20 days mean something. Uh, you have to use your time differently. Mm-hmm.
3: Tim? But, you know, I, it's, it's, it's a degradation of our service. I mean, look, January, we're going to charge you more money to deliver your mail slower. It's, it's the death spiral of the Postal Service. I mean, it's like Coke saying we're going to reinvent ourselves, and everybody didn't want new Coke. What did Coke do? Coke went back to Coke. So when you're telling people, yes, we have to modernize, and, yeah, we have to save money where we can, but let's save money where it really counts, Let's get rid of things we don't need. We're in the job of delivering the mail to the public. That's our job. It's a service. It's not a business. You, can't, you cannot run a government service like it's a business. You can try to structure it and finance it all you want that way, but you are still a service. And like this man said, churches, nonprofits, when they come into Bloomington, they're handled just like first-class mail. That church gets their mailing, and it's put right back out. Are you going to get that when it goes dandy? I don't know. You're going to get it when it goes to Evansville? I don't know. I said, but he's right. What happens when we have a three-day weekend now? It'll become a four-day weekend if you get rid of that other day of service. Mm -hmm. So that church mainly or nonprofit organization or the newspaper, the newspaper locally, those people that get their newspaper through the mail, Mm -hmm. they don't want Tuesday's mail on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. They want Tuesday's mail on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So these are problems that are going to happen.
0: -hmm. Lisa, this conflict that's going on in here is kind of looks like it feels like a microcosm of what must be going on uh, in a bigger in a bigger um,
4: world. Well, yes and no. I mean the the Postal Service uh, is one of the few remaining uh, unionized organizations uh, that uh, has had a long, stable bargaining relationship across seven different bargaining units. Uh, And so there is going to be discussion between management and labor over the impact of these changes, and historically there always has been. I mean, when I started working with them, there were 900,000 employees. Now there are, what, 584,000 employees? And that has an impact Um, on the various bargaining units. When you shrink the workforce that much, there's an impact. And that's why you end up with negotiations and trade-offs over the impact of of technological changes like the optical character readers and and scanning of zip codes. I, I think most people wouldn't understand how it's possible to have a no layoff clause. Well, when you see that big a shrinkage in the workforce, the no layoff clause is something... To let employees know that that there is some protection against f- further technological changes now these these contracts are temporary they 're renegotiated it 's a dynamic relationship it 's a problem solving relationship there 's a new set of problems there 'll be another set of negotiations there 'll be a new set of, of compromises but but with collective bargaining, you at least get labor and management. Talking together about those problems, instead of having a, a, a small number of people at the top of an organization making decisions unilaterally, maybe without complete information,
1: mm-hmm. like Congress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Okay, mm-hmm. let's go. Let's go to the phones. We have two calls. Victor is next. Victor, Victor from Hi. Spencer is next. Go, go ahead.
7: Yeah. How are we doing? Good. Uh, I'm a truck driver. And I've been hauling mail from uh, Bloomington to Cincinnati this last year. Uh, I'm on layoff as we speak. And quite frankly, I'm very much in favor of changes to the post office's uh, operations. The trucks that run uh, by private contractors for the mail are running way too often uh, empty. Uh, hardly loaded at all, and I believe that this threat of changing local service is a red herring. Um, I believe that uh, local service is probably the one thing that uh, the post office could maintain by putting uh, local mail uh, uh, sorting that out uh, 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 for local delivery. I I do not believe. That would have to be changed if it's local mail being delivered locally, uh, but I believe that the waste between Bloomington and Indianapolis and Bloomington and Columbus and bloomington and Cincinnati is uh, uh, outrageous
1: be be a little more specific for me what kind of waste are you talking about the the truck, number truck of trucks driving, truck driving truck okay.
7: driving with nothing on them okay. All right. And, uh, Go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll just leave it okay. there. I have more to say that's probably not on point. Okay. But as a driver who has hauled mail uh, five nights a week, I can tell you that uh, uh, we knew, for example, Sunday night, that those trailers were going to be empty.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, let's get some reaction from our, our panel here. Uh
3: I mean he, uh, the post office enters into those contracts John. with uh, those contract units, you know companies, and yeah, you know you make a contract and you know you post office is still the government, and as far as I know, if the government signs a contract with you and you end that contract, they're still paying for it. So I guess it's just a matter of when they renegotiate their contracts with their truck drivers or their truck driving companies that they need to look at those things. And Victor could probably speak about that more.
2: And that's what we're looking at with, uh, with our network uh, optimization program. And, and um, the gentleman from Spencer addressed one Victor of the also. points. Of, yeah. oh, Victor also. Yeah. I didn't want to uh, confuse myself. Yeah. Um, We know the way the network is set up, we've got a lot of trucks that run uh, not full. So we're running uh, partially filled uh, trucks between various different facilities. If we take down from the 478 facilities we have now and bring it down to about 200, that's going to be less runs between facilities, but those trucks will uh, will be fuller. We've got our major mailers telling us the same thing. You know, they're dropping as deep into our system as they possibly can, and they're running to various facilities with their trucks not as f- full as possible, so it's costing them more. So they're asking us to help them save money at the same time. Uh, so, yes, it's part of it's part of the rationale behind restructuring our mail processing network.
3: But uh, ain't I right, Victor, that the reason they drop deeper into our system is so that they save money by... Going around Indianapolis or Cincinnati, let's say, and driving to Terre Haute and dropping their mail locally, so that they get it into the system quicker
2: and cheaper. They they save money, and we (coughs) excuse me, and we save money by not having to process it. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. Well, let's go to the next phone call, and this and this one's from Mark from Bloomington. Mark. Hi, I'm here. Yeah, go ahead.
8: Hi, Um, I'm with FedEx, and I'm surprised that this never gets mentioned when. People talk about network optimization and, you know, the pooling of, of source resources. You know, if you think back 40 years ago, we didn't exist. And, uh, you know, Fred Smith put, laid this whole blueprint out as a, as a, as a paper um, for his college course and flunked because of this hub system that you're talking about with network optimization. You know, and here we are 40 years later, and look, what that ex- the kind of growth that we've had in 40 years I see the you know the post office talking about moving that direction, and of course, you know, like so many other people, myself included, you look at this and think, how could it work? you know forty years ago, we were taking a letter from Oakland sending it to Memphis and then delivering it the next day to San Francisco. didn't make any sense, but it worked, and now we have sub a network of sub hubs and and bypass systems that it sounds like what the post office is talking about doing and uh, it, it, it it blows my mind that people poo pooed this whole idea when it's exactly the same thing that has has led us to you know forty years of just unrestrained explosive growth. Um, the other thing that I wanted to to, to point out, and, and you know, as a FedEx employee, you know, the people think that we're in competition with the post office, and maybe at, at the upper ranks of management we are, but as a ground. Uh, rank-and-file employees, we see ourselves more as co-workers of the post office and UPS. Um, if you've ever worked, you know, I worked through the brownout in the 90s when all the UPS drivers were gone, and
6: you realize
8: how much we depend on each other um, at, on the street level. You know, the, the, if if suddenly the post office isn't there or if they scale back service, it's, it's really going to hit us. I mean, um, and so I like that, you know, we're not going after your total market share. You're not coming after our total market share. But I would like to see the post office, you know, kind of get real, charge a dollar, you know. FedEx is still charging, you know, $12, $13 to get a letter somewhere by next afternoon, more if you want it for the morning. If you charge a dollar or two for letters, you're still going to get away with it and maybe survive. I mean, I, it's probably not that simple, but to a guy who just drives the truck. It seems like that would be the thing mm-hmm. that you would do. You know, um, we are not going to come after you if you're charging two and three dollars a letter. We can't. You know, um, and I would also just close with: we do move a lot of your stuff. You know, uh, the post office, and that's why I think that there's a there's a an interest, a mutual interest in the uh, in the, in FedEx and. and Post offices synergy, uh, we move uh, medicines for your um, your veterans, you know, um, through our system, so that you can better serve uh, your VA um, clients. And um, it, it, so, I appreciate that we're not in uh, competition with one another, and that it's more of a, a synergistic relationship. I'd like to see it continue. I I'd also, like I said, I'd, I'd sure like to see you guys. Maybe get real and come off this 50-cent stamp. You know, people are going to – people will pay a
1: dollar, you know. Okay. Uh, all right, right. Mark. We, Thank you. we got Bye. a couple of people want to respond to that, so uh. – okay. I'm going to get off. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank Thanks a lot I'll for all those points. Sure. Thank you. Lisa?
4: Actually, I'd, I'd like to hear more on this point from my colleagues at the Postal Service <laughs> because um, there was a point where the Postal Service had a monopoly on this kind of delivery, and what's happened is, of course, over time in the evolution of UPS and FedEx, they've creamed off some of the highest-paying work somehow. And I never really understood how that happened. Well, it
2: actually goes back to the 1970 law and the, and the reason uh, Fred Smith was finally allowed to uh, create that kind of business is Congress uh, uh, said, OK, Postal Service, you'll have a monopoly on the box. But on parcels, uh, you'll have competitors. And uh, Fred Smith's um, college paper just turned into a, a great uh, business idea and a great, uh, a great business. Um, but I do want to say uh, we are partners with FedEx. Uh, they're one of our largest contractors to move the mail. Um, And I'm not quite sure how many people also know that uh, because we've got such a tremendous delivery network set up across the country, we'll deliver what we call last-mile packages for FedEx and for UPS. Uh, So there is a partnership uh, there. Uh, To the point on the uh, uh, pricing of a stamp, um, just last night uh, at one of our uh, meetings, someone said, stood up and said, you should charge a dollar for the stamp. This is a great – even at a dollar, it's a great bargain. By law, we are capped at raising our prices for our mailing services part, and this is the, where you buy your stamps for, to the, uh, the um, consumer price index, essentially your uh, inflation rate. So that's why you didn't see a price increase for the last two years, because the inflation rate was close to zero. This year, you're seeing that penny because the inflation rate's gone up a little bit more. That's what we're capped at raising the, raising the prices, but obviously our costs are going up higher, higher than that. So again, that goes to a point we're struggling with.
0: Sounds like you guys need better lobbyists.
2: You need better
3: <laughs> laws in Congress. Yeah,
2: right. Well, yeah, that's, that's what right. I mean. Yeah. Well, we can't lobby. And, and no. that, that's our challenge. As a federal agency, we can't lobby. All we can do uh, is go to Congress and say, here's our situation. Here's where we need help. This began very publicly in March of 2010 with uh, then Postmaster General uh, Jack Potter. He came back with a list of things that we wanted Congress to address. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, it, it, I, I think that – but, but, but Mark, Mark's on the point. We, yeah. You know, we deliver – thirty percent of their ground parcels that last mile. Mm-hmm. And as Victor said, we've got this great network. But the Postal Service is talking about let's destroy our great network. We spent two hundred and thirty years, we're older than the Constitution, to build this network. We're here for the people. Well, I'm not here for the direct mailing industry. I'm not here for I'm here for Bill Gates. I'm not here for Microsoft. That's what the Postal Service is about. If Microsoft wants to mail through us, fine. If Bill Gates, fine. But we're here for the public, for a public service that was mandated and started by Congress. Actually Ben Franklin started it before we even had the Constitution. But we're going to turn around and destroy ourselves from within. And it's just ridiculous. It's like he said, you know, uh, UPS, FedEx, we're, we're all in it together. Tomorrow, if you privatize the postal service, it's called liquidation. It's not called privatization because UPS, FedEx, one of these companies will come in and say, you know, I'll take Nevada, I'll take Las Vegas. You can have the remote areas. Mm -hmm. Nobody will get their service in those areas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We go to places every day, six days a week. And yet... We have post offices in rural communities where the UPS driver comes out and has never delivered a package. He goes to the postmaster at the local place or the employee at the local post office and says, hey, do you know where this is at?
0: Mm -hmm, And there is something sacred about the the post office. I mean, as you mentioned, it's it's older than the country itself, and so – I know if you go to Washington, D.C., there's a postal museum. It's right across the street from Union Station. I highly recommend it. It's I'm a museum geek, and I can tell you it's a really, really good museum. And so um, I think there's a lot of emotional um, charge to any issue about the post office. It's, it's something that comes to your home. And as we talked earlier, you know, I know your face. I, kn- I know. I don't know you, but I know you.
3: Well, the, you know, and with the... With that said, you know, we ought to be celebrating that we go to every place six days a week instead of going, hey, let's cut it to five. Let's tell them it's going to take us longer to do it and hope that they'll still use us. I'm like, I just can't see that happening in America. And, I, you know, the people need to get up and go, you know, we're the people, for the people, by the people. And that's what you're here for. You're here for us, not corporate America or a, an industry that wants to lobby to get a labor cost reduced. You know, and the post office talks about our labor costs. Our labor costs just ain't the labor – the people that actually work the mail. It's management. I got 30 people at the top of the postal pyramid. They make more than people in Congress. I can tell you, Mr. Donahoe, he's probably making more than the president.
0: Okay. We've got two more calls we want to try to get in, okay. and we need to make real quickly just the point that while the the organization itself can't lobby, your unions can, of course, lobby. Yes. Okay. We just want to clarify that. Go okay, ahead. Okay.
1: Let's go to okay. Joe? Joe?
8: Hi. Uh, uh, I think it's a great discussion so far. Uh, What puzzles me, though, is uh, where's our congressman on this? Um, I know he's in Washington, but there was an attempt made to contact his office in Bloomington to get a member of his staff. Do they understand this problem? What's going on in that area? Great question,
3: Joe. We're short on time. Uh, Jim? Back at the end of September, we had a nationwide protest. Uh, uh, we uh, we were here locally in Bloomington. We set up around the courthouse, and then we delivered uh, petitions that were signed to Mr. Young's office. Mr. Young is unfortunately more geared towards the 2309 side of Congress rather than the 1351 side, which is to dismantle your postal service. Uh, your congressmen, as far as your state senators, they are no sponsors on this list of 19 that has stopped this Put, the, put, a, put a delay on the closing of post offices or processing plants. Those were strictly just Democrats and an independent that did so. Mm-hmm. So the congressmen in Indiana are either silent or, or silent and against us. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go to the phone. Diana is next. Diana?
1: Pardon me? Hi, go right ahead. Yes, my name is Diana, and the only
4: comment that I want to make is, First of all, I love my mail carrier that delivers my mail and helps me when I am unable physically to get to the mailbox.
1: And as far as I'm concerned, our do-nothings are the U.S. Congress, and they're chicken, and they are not helping us out, and they are not serving the public. And I think they ought to be voted out, and if the Indiana Senators are doing nothing, they need to be out of there. that's my comment. Thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, Diana. We've got about two minutes to go, and I want to ask each of you, um, what are the prospects of uh, H.R.
3: 1351? As long as Daryl Issa controls it there is no prospect. Mm-hmm. He's he's just basically on a dismantled, privatized mode with the postal service as far as the unions. Is and, it?
1: and is he the committee
3: chair that's holding the He chairs the uh, Postal Oversight Committee, and he is the head. So he brought forth his own 2309 proposition, co-sponsored by his buddy, Dennis Ross, and put that before the committee. They voted for it, and it's waiting to come to the House floor to be heard. Mm-hmm. Okay. Victor, do you have any
2: December. December 18th, a $5.5 billion payment is due. What we are waiting to see is what Congress does right now. They gave us an extension uh, for the. Until May, right? Well, they gave us an extension until December 18th because okay. it was initially due end of September. Uh, we are hoping that as part of this compromise legislation, um, uh, we will get another further extension. We know it is in there. Uh, I haven't heard if there has been a vote on it yet. Um, but all that will do is with our earlier announcement, give Congress more time to deal with the issue all right we are i 'll go ahead please Lisa. yeah,
4: just one thing I think we need to leave listeners with, and that 's to understand that the postal service is render the the postal service is rendering a public service, but it's competing with the private market, and it can't charge market rates, and it's doing all this successfully on its own bottom. It's Mm -hmm. not doing it at taxpayers' expense. Mm -hmm. And I think most people just don't understand that. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. We are out of time. It's been a great discussion. I want to thank Victor Dubina, Tim Fuller, and Lisa Bingham for being here with us today. It's been great. Uh, For Mary Catherine Carmichael and producers Dalton Main and Gretchen Frazee, as well as engineer Mike Pashkash I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933, online at mypremierortho.com.